existing landlord, you probably know that your lease is the cornerstone of your rental business. It's the foundation on which your tenants are required to pay you rent, you're required to provide them with possession, and it's also exhibit A in the event that you need to get that possession back in an eviction. Needless to say, it's really freaking important, but I often see small landlords kind of mentally check it off and then never really think about the ins and outs of like how to use the dang thing. I've got earlier episodes on some of my favorite lease terms and my two cents on the content of your leases that I'll be sure to link in the show notes. This episode though is a bit more about the operation side of your lease, the admin stuff that I see landlords either ignore or frankly get tripped up on. And so whether you're a soon-to-be landlord gearing up for your very first tenant or a more experienced one who maybe just hasn't thought about this part of your rental business for a hot minute, this episode is for you, so stick with me. Here's what we're going to cover. We are going to start off with the absolute basics, where to get your lease, and once you have one, how often should you be updating it? Next, we're going to break down what docs should be included in your lease, and perhaps more importantly, what should not be included in your lease package. Also, we're going to talk, of course, about who should actually be signing the lease. Next, we're going to be chatting about legally collecting money in connection with that lease signing, like security deposits and extra months of rent. And make sure you stick around to the very end because I'm going to talk about some of the things I'm looking to add to my lease signing processes this year in 2023. So let's get into it. So let's get into it with where exactly should you get a lease? I think I've beaten this horse to absolute death, so I don't want to spend too much time on it in this episode. But let me just say, don't cut yourself short on your lease. It is absolutely wild to me when investors will spend five, ten thousand dollars $10,000 on a guru or a course or some sort of mastermind program, but they won't invest a few hundred bucks into a lawyer, approved lawyer drafted lease. It is the number one template that I get asked about as an attorney, but I also is can see that it's the number one template that people try to kind of brush under uh, the rug and not really have to worry about. And of course, the number one version of the template I get asked about is the bigger pockets lease. Is it good? I don't know. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I don't know. Seriously, I don't. I don't think about the bigger pockets lease. I didn't have input on the bigger pockets lease. I personally don't use it in my business or for my clients. And so, what can I say? I know that for a long time the Pennsylvania one was garbage. It was just frankly outdated and it got updated. It's still not great for Philadelphia landlords, though, because of all of the local laws. And my thought is if you don't know if your template is good, and the only way you're going to find out is through hiring a local lawyer. Just hire the lawyer in the first place. Frankly, it will probably be cheaper in the long run. Plus, I know from my own firm, I wouldn't update outside leases. I just wouldn't touch them. It was frankly a lot easier for me to just work off my own templates, which I updated regularly and rather than cross-reference like every single term and going back and forth between two different documents. And as a pro tip, if your lawyer doesn't have their own template to work off of, find another lawyer. <laughs> Sorry, had to say it. The only time I review leases is when I am representing the tenant, and that's usually in a commercial setting. Landlords need to have their own custom template that fits them and their unique investing business, their types of properties that they're using, and of course, their geographic location. And really, I'm not just talking about a lease here, I'm talking about the whole lease package, because the reality is, is that there's a lot more to a lease than that one singular document. And so what's included in your lease package? Let's talk about it. Of course, the lease itself. And like I've said, I've got other episodes about 
the least content itself. So I'm not going to dive into that here. But something that is really important and kind of counterbalances with something that should not be in your lease is the rules. You should put your house rules, your <laughs> landlording rules into your lease, not into an onboarding packet, not into a tenant welcome packet in the lease. Why? Well, if a tenant violates one of those rules, chances are you want to send, you know, start the eviction process or give them like a warning. Uh, that way you can begin the eviction process if it becomes a persistent problem. But if it's not in the lease, it's not a rule. They didn't agree to it. You can't just send a you know one-sided uh, set of rules after the lease was signed or even before the lease was signed saying, hey, here's the rules. But if they didn't agree to it, it's not really their job. <laughs> Hate to say it. I see this one trip landlords up a lot where they put terms that in their welcome packet that are not in their lease and then they try to enforce it and they can't really. Also, you're going to want to make sure that you've got all of your required disclosures signed either simultaneously with the lease or uh, in like con consecutive like documents that would go through like an e-sign package. These types of disclosures can be things like lead-based paying, um, bed bug addendums, or if the property is located in like an HOA or a condominium association, attach those bylaws as well because they're the ones, uh, by and large, you're gonna have to abide by those types of rules. They're not gonna be the ones voting on things or like the budget, but in terms of like, when does trash need to go out? What are like noise rules in the property? Those are things that the tenants are gonna have to abide by. And so incorporating them as well into your lease is really key. Some of these disclosures are like a paragraph. You can just put it right into the lease yourself. And some like those condo association or HOA bylaws are a lot longer. And so it's much easier rather than trying to like squeeze them into your lease somewhere just to attach it as an exhibit to the lease. And I realize exhibit sounds like all sorts of fancy and complicated, but it's really quite simple actually. It's as easy as saying something in your lease as like, the tenant is hereby required to abide by all condo bylaws incorporated here as exhibit A in the lease, and then just tacking it on with maybe an initial block of the first page of that exhibit A. And while not incorporated in the lease uh, by reference or really as an exhibit, one thing that's really important to get signed simultaneously with the lease, and some property management softwares will allow you to kind of do this, and sometimes you just gotta do it old school style, uh, is your 1099. Um, you don't wanna be scrambling to find that come tax time, getting that from the tenant. It's a lot easier when you've got them in front of you, they're signing things that they want to sign, not just things they you want them to sign. And so, yes, like I said, just bang that out. Uh, it's a quick document. It's a little bit more than like their name, address, and social security number, and then get it done from the get-go and you don't have to worry about it later. Now, what not to include? <laughs> and this is where things kind of go full circle is the onboarding packet. It's important that your onboarding packet does not include the rules, like I had mentioned before. You don't want anything that could possibly contradict the language in your lease. Onboarding packets, I think, are a great operational tool, but I like to try to keep the lease to the legal stuff and just not try to pack in everything under the sun. And so if you've got like the favorite grocery store or what day trash day is, just put that in a separate document that you can give them at the time of move in. If you'd like a future episode to do a deep dive into the legal best practices when using onboarding or welcome packets, shoot me a DM at Bonnie Gallum ESQ to let me know and it just might become a future episode. Next, let's talk about exactly who should be signing the lease. The answer is 
all of the tenants, <laughs> not just the one with the good credit, not just the one who's moving in on the first day and the other people aren't moving in for another few weeks, all of the tenants need to sign. Alongside that, I like to have the co-signers and guarantors sign the whole document as well. Some people will prefer just to have them to sign some sort of financial guarantor. I find that there's often some little nitpicky type of language that I still want the financial guarantor to be on the hook for, whether it's like attorney's fees or repair costs, things like that, that are sprinkled throughout the lease. Um, and not just rent. And so talk with your local attorney about how you want to incorporate guarantors or co-signers into your lease signing process. Also, <laughs> and this is a big one, may sound completely obvious, but you, you need to sign the lease as well. I can't begin to tell you how many leases have come across my desk where one side or the other has never signed it. And it may just be, you know, you send it to your tenant, they sign it, and you're like, great, I have what I need. I, I don't need to sign it for myself, but you do. <laughs> Please sign the lease. And I love it when, you know, even eSign makes it super easy right now but a document that has both signatures on it, not one with your signature and one with their signature, both of you on the same document. Uh, and after you sign it, this one also sounds like a simple one, but give the fully executed version to the tenant as well. I think you'd find that you save yourself a lot of back and forth and headaches when the tenant knows what their lease actually says. And so make sure that they get that final copy that they can have for their records and for their reference as well as your own. Next, let's talk real quick about accepting security deposits and like other money that you take when you're signing leases. The first thing you got to know is how much can you legally collect? This varies a ton from state to state. And so you're going to want to look up your state laws and make sure your lease reflects that state law as well about how much can you actually collect as advanced rent and how much can you hold a security deposit because you do not want to be violating these laws. They come with stiff penalties. It's kind of do not pass go. You got stuck with a fine and it's kind of an easy one for tenants to spot and figure out and get you on the hook for. So make sure that you're not holding too much uh, of the tenant's money than you're legally allowed to. And so where does it have to be held? This is another one that's very state specific. And so seeing if you can just put that money into your operating account, which is very unusual, usually there's some sort of a separate escrow or security deposit account that you have to put security deposits and advanced rent into. Now, whether you can co-mingle that with other tenants' security deposits um, is, again, dependent on state law. Same thing you're going to want to look into is whether that account has to be interest-bearing or if it can have no interest growing on it. Just something to take a look into, especially in states where tenants are entitled to their interest. Even if it's like something measly, like 15 cents at the end of the year, they're still legally entitled to it. And you don't want to like get tripped up on a technicality. Next up, you have to, again, look at whether these uh, funds that you're holding are refundable or not. Some things like advanced rent, you may be saying, are refundable up to a certain point. Security deposits are almost always considered refundable um, up until the end of the lease term where you can deduct what you need to, but it's technically considered the tenant's money 
throughout their tenancy. And so you don't want to get tripped up thinking that this money is in your kind of operating account for you to use when it's really not. You never want to find yourself in a hole or creating some sort of like security deposit Ponzi scheme. And I know you're thinking like that would be crazy, but it happens. <laughs> and so keeping clean books and keeping the money separate from, you know, where it might accidentally be used to say pay for your mortgage or pay for your property taxes is absolutely key. And then the other thing to think about when collecting this this money, whether it's security deposits or like first and last month's rent, is the timing of that collection. You need to collect something at the lease signing. Like the moment of lease signing, there's gotta be something. It could be a dollar, but that would honestly be like an administrative headache to try to bookkeep for. And so most landlords would do something like a first month's rent, or they're gonna do the security deposit, or some combination of both in order to, you know, quote unquote, take the property off the market. Um, but it's also a really important contractual piece because you need to have consideration. And without some sort of monetary exchange from the tenant to you, then the contract and the lease itself could kind of be questionably enforceable. And you don't want to, again, lose out on a technicality and have a tenant be able to break the lease before it even starts because they never gave you any sort of money in consideration of it. There's no right or wrong amount to hold here, except for, you know, as required by your state law. But it's important that you do take something at the time of signing. Something else I've seen a lot of landlords do is take, say, security deposit at the time of signing, and then they'll do first and last month's rent at the time of move-in, or some combination of additional money due basically at the time of keys being turned over. So that can be a nice way to spread things out if, say, people don't have those three months to give right away, or perhaps you're not even legally allowed to hold those three months all at once. And so I want to share a little bit of about what I'm working on this year in our management business. The goal, you know, that we always have in constantly improving and growing our portfolio is to keep a running list of things that have gone wrong. <laughs> it sounds depressing, but it really has allowed us to keep ahead of things in our business. We can quickly jump in and create new procedures or terms or workflows around these issues to ideally prevent them from ever happening again. And some things feel like a one-off and, you know, shifting your business kind of feels like overkill, like, you know, taking your shoes off at the airport because of one nut 20 years ago. But then sometimes things happen again. And of course, like your first reaction is like, oh, I should have known better. I should have like fixed it. But then, you know, the reality is you just bump that item to the top of your to fix list and you just deal with it. And for us, that happened this year. <laughs> and so I want to share a little bit about that and what we're going to do in our ops to try to make things a little bit smoother. And the situation is, is that we had uh, a few tenants um, want to back out post lease signing before move in. And this is a colossal pain when it happens. But before this year, it was something that literally happened like once in like the last prior six years. And we figured at that time, like six years ago when it happened, it was like a bad apple. It was our fault. It was a vetting or application issue. And we just we didn't sweat it too, too much at the time because our lease still covered us legally. Like the, it was a headache, but we weren't really out. But then when it happened again <laughs> this year, we realized we, we really needed to tackle it. It was already addressed in the lease. So it wasn't so much a legal issue for us as much of like an operational headache, like a really big headache. And so as you guys know, turnover time is crazy for us. We strategically structure all of our turnovers to usually happen August 1st or September 1st. 
And so that time of year is just not so, especially with um, most of us, have, most of our properties are rented to students and they just have high turnover. It's not like we have a lot of long-term tenants, like best case scenario, you're getting them like two, maybe three years, but like that very rarely happens because friends change and they get internships or they study abroad. Like it just, we have a very high turnover business. And since turnover time is crazy enough with us, typically like dozens of units turning over within that span of a month, we really, really don't like having to add showings on top of it all. And so we realized that we'd have to address our systems around the lease to prevent this from happening in the future. Like I said, the lease itself like legally covered us uh, from like a monetary standpoint, but it didn't cover us from like a <laughs> mental health standpoint of having this like thrown in our face at what felt like the 11th hour. And like back in the good old days, you know, we would sit down side by side with our tenants to, to sign our leases. I mean, I'm really glad that we kind of started this business in more of like an old school fashion um, and really didn't have any sort of like property management software until we had, frankly, dozens of rental units. And, you know, I think siting side by side with, you know, signing a lease with a tenant has kind of gone to the wayside, like DVD players or something. Like, I'm sure there's like you know, large apartment complexes with, you know, an in-house management or leasing type of person. But like, aside from that, I think the vast majority of people at this point are signing leases through e-signature. Um, and that makes sense. It, it makes sense, a lot of sense to use e-signature for efficiency's sake. And, you know, every one of us who does that, though, loses out on a really important educational opportunity with our tenants. Um, you know, that time to sit side by side and <laughs> eye to eye with our tenant to actually walk through the the lease and have them ask questions was really, really valuable. And it wasn't often, but every now and then the signing actually didn't happen. Like during that process, when they were sitting in our office, um, either we or the tenant would realize something like wasn't driving. And we parted ways before it became an issue. Like they saw something in the lease or we saw something in them where we're like, hey, 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 I, as much as we want to rent for to you, like this isn't going to work out for X, Y, and Z reason. And now that opportunity is gone. And I don't know that that necessarily would have prevented these specific issues, but it made us realize that there's like a huge touch point that used to happen with tenants before the lease signing would happen and now there's none. And so how could we kind of fill that gap in a sense with something? <laughs> and so, you know, some landlords will, you know, and we do this as well in our property management software, like, and we don't just have a signature at the end. We have, you know, an initial on each page with the hope that that's like forcing them through <laughs> the lease. And I, I don't necessarily think it is. I think, you know, they're still doing click, 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 click to go through the lease. Um, and so what we're thinking about doing this year is actually recording an intro video that they would watch before signing the lease. And it won't walk them through the lease because like I said, I never want anything to be out there that could be seen as contradictory to the language inside the lease. And it's also frankly not something I want to have to update as often as we do update our leases. Um, but I wanted to highlight things like the importance of reading the lease, like please for the love of God, read the lease, um, to the consequences of breach uh, at any point during the tenancy, like, you know, we don't want to evict you, but like, if we don't have a choice, like we will do these things. This is how it means for you. We, you know, kind of going through our whole philosophy of how we want a landlord tenant relationship to be, but then also things like the serious of signing and how they can't just change their mind. Um, 
And because, you know, their buddy invited them to go move in with a different friend somewhere else, or they ended up getting an internship after they signed with us. And so being able to, you know, express to them the legal gravity of signing a lease, whether it's with us or anyone else, um, is how they just, they can't change their mind about this stuff. There is still something binding between us. And no, we're not just going to give, you know, their money back the second they say, you know, actually I found a different place. Um, but also just setting the tone for that positive relationship that we're excited, you know, to have them be our tenant, that we look forward to, you know, being their housing provider. I mean, I don't, I don't have the fine details of this worked out yet, but I think you can get the vibe of like, hey, before we, you know, put our John Hancock on this agreement and make things, you know, a fish between us, let's actually, you know, slow down for a second and, you know, make sure you understand exactly what you're getting into. Um, I'm also, you know, thinking about adding an email drip system to check in with tenants after they sign the lease. Uh, of course, get them excited, remind them of like any tasks they need to get done prior to move in. And also to set up these like automated reminders to check in um, more on the longer term about, you know, renewals or doing walkthroughs. And it's, we really want to get more hands on in the way that um, we were in our earlier years, but through scaling kind of got to be <laughs> cumbersome, to put it frankly. Um, but being able to use like automation and tech tools, you all know how I love to do that, to be able to handle this for us. And so it, more hands-on without actually having to be hands-on. And so those are, you know, my top lease signing tips for landlords. I, there's so many resources out there for tenants before they sign the lease, and I really didn't see a lot out there for landlords. And so I wanted to create this short episode for you to use as a resource, as a checkpoint, um, for you to kind of slow down for a minute, look at not just the terms of your lease, but like your whole systems and processes around it to make sure that you're compliant, make sure that you're keeping your sanity, Next week, stick around. We're going to continue this conversation on lease best practices and talk a bit about renewals because landlords bungle renewals all the time. They find themselves, you know, several years deep in with a tenant and a lease that just doesn't reflect the current situation or at least their expectations of the current situation. And so make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss that episode. And if you enjoyed this podcast, help me spread the word. It could be as simple as screenshotting your phone right now with the podcast app open, tagging me in your Instagram stories at Bonnie Gallum ESQ. I so, so appreciate having you a part of the Good Bones community, and I'm excited to welcome more landlords and real estate investors into this community every week. I'll see you here, same time, same place, next week. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Good Bones Real Estate Investing Podcast. Make sure you're subscribed on your favorite podcast player to make sure you don't miss out on any future episodes. Now this lawyer's got to drop the fine print real quick. This podcast is educational and not intended to be legal tax or investing advice for you. Please speak with a local professional for specific advice unique to you and your situation. That's it for this episode. Bye for now.